Hi and welcome to the last in the podcast of Mixed Blessing. Now we have an amazing time just listening to so many interracial relationships. But to crown it all off, we want to talk to a woman. She has been involved in interracial relationship. I want to hear a story. And to crown it off, we also want to hear children who have lived in these in a mixed blessing relationship. So I have with me Lola Palamore. And I want her to tell me about herself before she tells us about the relationship. Now, remember, we've been going through what is it like for an African to marry a non-African, what that relation means and how racism, if there's any sign, affects it. But more importantly, we want to understand how mixed relationship actually enjoy an enduring and almost unbelievable time together. And so let her tell her story and we'll have her children give us their understanding of having parents of mixed heritage. Hold your seat. Lola Palamore, you're welcome. Now, I want you to tell your story, although I have your biography here. Is it possible to just give us a brief idea about who you are before we go into the questions we want you to answer for us today? Tell us about yourself. So, I would describe myself as a Christ-following Londoner, a lover of culture, a nomad at heart, joyfully married, intentionally parenting three Spangerian, which are Spanish and Nigerian, kids across three cultural spaces. I'm currently discovering a new life in Seville, Spain. My happy places are in the kitchen and any venue where musicians showcase their craft. I'm striving to be all that I was created to be, one of which is black-skinned. Thank you. Now, listen, it's great to have you here. I know you've come to Ireland and it's, we just had to seize the opportunity to have this extra bonus. Okay. Tell us about how you got involved with the man of, your, the, man of the hour, Mr. Palomar, Jesus Palomar. What happened? So I first met Jesus when we were in church. We had just come back, my parents, my family, we had just come back from Nigeria. And this was in 2003. And he had just started attending the same church. He'd been there for about just over a year or so. And so a lot of the things that we did in our church were the same. For example, I did a lot of music. So he would be on the sound and sometimes in the youth um, events we'd have, he'd be there too. So I just noticed him simply because I'd never met anybody Spanish before. Our church is quite diverse, but I he was the first Spanish person I, I've known in the church. And so, you know, like with everybody, I'd had a, had a chat with him and that's when I first met him. Um, I think he took an interest in me. He was very shy. He did show an interest shortly after and then it fizzled out 10 years almost when both we both had mutual friends that got married and so I was uh, the lady's bridesmaid he was a groomsman of the guy and it just kind of rekindled again and here we are 
<laughs> she said, here we are. Now, how long before you knew, because honestly, you said you're in the same church, you did things together, that in your own heart, you knew you this could be a long-lasting relationship and he's not an African man. <laughs> so I think I realised it's probably not wasn't an interracial point but I think when I realized that I can totally be myself with him then I thought well I'm going to have to navigate everything else because to find someone that you can that you feel you can totally be yourself with doesn't come around every day um so that was when I knew I was going to have to navigate those waters and what did you have to navigate what kind of things were you navigating I think I've had my own personal black journey prior to then. Okay, hold on. We're going to just touch on again. This is a podcast about Africans. What was your black journey and how did you navigate it to bring this Spanish man into your life? I think as I've grown up and I've had the incredible privilege of living in different, within different cultures. Number one, I lived in London, so there's a diversity of people there. I've also lived in Nigeria which has its own diversity, but I, although I am by blood Nigerian, I've also lived abroad. So I've always kind of been in that other space whereby I'm living in Nigeria, but I may not be completely seen as a Nigerian because I've lived abroad. I'm almost a black Oibo, as they would call it, that's white. Um, I'm living in Britain. I don't particularly look English, as in I don't have white skin, but I have a culture, I have a British cult. like I've been brought up within the British culture, so there's always been an othering. I've always kind of been around the fringes. So that makes you call into question, okay, who am I? What am I? Um, How do I navigate this? How do I navigate being black, but then sometimes in... African or black spaces, you're still seen as other, being in a white space, but you're black, so you're still another. How do you navigate? <laughs> how do you navigate that? And I think, um, I think the privilege of being in all those places makes you realise that you were created as an individual, and you have to. It takes time, and I think you can't. The bottom line is that I am myself and that means that sometimes I remember one thing actually that Jesus said that kind of set me free and I was sometimes you apologize for liking things that you're technically not supposed to like if you're if you're black or if you're African it could be the style of the type of music I like the type of food I like for example I will have a steak tata yes I do I will ask for my steak to be rare. I don't mind trying that, which is like... <gasps> it's got to be well done. It has to be well done. It has to <laughs> bounce from the wall, all that stuff. And you just have like, Lola, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so things like that. And it's like, oh, but I really enjoy that. You know, I, I would rather go hiking than, be, you know, things that people will say, well, it's not really, it's not really black, is it? Whatever black means, because <laughs> that in itself is quite conjunct. Like, who who died and made somebody god of blacks? The way I see it, it's just. And it, he said to me, he said, "How? 
have you considered the possibility that you're just Lola? You are just who you are. You like what you like. And sometimes that transcends different cultures. And so um, that's what I mean by my journey. Just coming to the realization that as humans, we want to be accepted in spaces. We want to be accepted. But you were purposely created the way you are. And there'll be things that you love, things that you like, things that you are, things that you can do. And I think also that's helped me to understand that I can sit with different people and hear their story. I think having that journey has meant that I can see people as human. I can see people for who they are, not just the colour of their skin. I can quickly move all of that aside. And I think currently now living in yet another cultural space, that's helped me a lot because you see people for who they are. And yes, some people can only see you through the prism of the colour of your skin. But like I try to teach my children, other people can see you through the prism of your gender, through the prism of what you believe. There's always a prism where people are going to other you or accept you. And so race is just another thing that people use. So it's not... It's not I am, I have black skin. That is not my identity, number one, because that's always changing. Today, what the right type of black should be is going to change tomorrow. If I'm in one country, that looks different. Here in Dublin, it looks different. So be myself. And I think that's what my black journey was. And so that meant that I am going to be joining with somebody else who ultimately is not a skin colour, it's a person. And I... I think that's what a lot of Africans are fighting for, to be seen for who they are, not just the colour of their skin. And so I would describe that as my black journey. Finally, finding that I am so much more than the colour of my skin, accepting that and walking in that, even though that means that I may be othered in certain spaces or times. That's a wonderful way to answer it. And I say kudos to Jesus, um, your husband, for actually, you said it was like you were set free. It was because you're forever trying to be a chameleon and not trying to be too different. Um, but it's like, hey, but this is who I am. This is this is my this is what makes me. This is why people like me, because I can sit with anyone and find out their story and see them for who they are. That's who I happen to be. And I've needed to be that because of the amount of different places I'm <laughs> where there's been when I've been younger, I've been moved into this place, this tribe, this thing, and then now a completely different space as well. So I've needed to be that. And that's why I was created that way to love things that are different, cultures that are different, food that's different. That's who I am. Right. And as an African woman, we're not <laughs> going to talk about jello fries because <laughs> you like your steak rare. <laughs> But I could cook a mean jello fries. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so now, because we're here trying to talk about, to try to understand how racism affects um, relationship, mm-hmm. when you were dating your beloved spouse-to-be, did you not experience any kind of racism, A, from the family, from the community, from... Your church? That's an interesting one because from just within the community, just living, London is very diverse. So it is not odd to see interracial couples, which on one hand is 
that makes it quite easy. It is more rare to see a black man with a white woman. So it is more common to see a black man with a white woman. You see less in London white men with a black woman. But I remember one particular incident. I was just in our local area and we were just walking. I think we were going to a cafe. We just come from a cafe or something. And this guy walked past us and he was, um, I guess he would identify as a Rastafarian. And the risk, just the hate that spewed from his eyes, from what he was saying, I just thought, wow. And so funnily enough, I've experienced more, you know, stranger racism, not, not one from people that I know, from people that are black than from people that are white. Um, but then when you come closer in, so for example, with family, I think because my family already knew Jesus and just knew, we knew the dynamics of where we were, it wasn't a surprise, although I think it was a surprise in the fact that because I am very proud of who I am, I think there was an automatic assumption that of course she's going to go with somebody that's African or some somebody similar. So maybe that may have taken them by surprise. I don't know what my parents said behind closed door about my match. I have <laughs> to ask them. <laughs> they may have had sleepless nights. I'm not sure. But um, I don't know. Um, I remember one uncle, I said, oh, look, so the person I'm, I'm going out with is here. So he came out of his house and then he saw him from across the road. It's like... You should have warned me about that. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I, I, I suppose. Well, whatever. Well, there you go. He's white. Um, so various responses, but I think, as a family in general, because we are quite accommodating, it. I don't think he ever felt um, not accepted. However, we have grown up. We've ex we share experiences, and so I think one thing that was quite interesting to navigate was heated conversations that we'd have about our experience living in a white space and then things that we've said and now you're sitting there and there's someone that is white and it's like I have to kind of I know what I've said <laughs> people know what I've said <laughs> and I'm here with somebody um, white but again it's one of those things we all have stereotypes, we, we say things, but when you sit down with an individual, and I think when you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, the immigrants, this, or this, about that, and then you'll be sitting next to them saying, but I, I match that demographic. Oh, no, 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 not you, though, just the others. Like, so you've never, <laughs> the others you've never experienced, but all the ones that you know aren't that negative stereotype. So when somebody, a family, sees the person you're with, after the initial, okay, that's how I identify you have white skin, but they meet the person, that's when you start to see whether they settle with it or not, but that's more of an individual thing. Was he nice? Did they did they think he was good enough for me? And, you know, varying varying feelings about that, but that was more of an individual thing. Right. That's very, very interesting, the things you've said. So now, when did, you, when did he propose? And when did you say, yes, I'm going to do this? He proposed December, so it was he'd gone away to Spain. He'd actually gone to, because his father, one of his father's best friends was a jeweler. So he went and got a specific ring for me. He came back, 
but it wasn't the, my right size. And so I knew he'd gone to try and find a ring and my impatient self was like, so what's happening, what's happening? <laughs> and I obviously missed the part that, hey, potentially the ring may not fit. So he was trying to get it resized. But I think with my impatience, um, yes, he proposed somewhere around the new year time, late December time. Right. You obviously accepted. <laughs> I accepted. <laughs> How many I years said now? Yes. How many years now? Ten years this June gone. So quickly. It's been, and, it, I can't um, believe it. What I also want to know is like, how did his family perceive you? So what had happened is that he had gone back to Spain and told them that he was in a relationship with someone and then he showed them their picture. And so he says that their response was, ah, negro, negro, negro. Basically, she's black. <laughs> Which means? <laughs> black. Um, she's black. But it was a, I think it was a wedding. I was in my friend's wedding, so it was a nice picture of me. And they said I was very beautiful. Um, when I finally met his parents, it's quite funny, we had gone over with some of my friends and my cousins and my um, siblings. We'd gone to Spain to have a holiday, but also kind of worked out that I'd meet um, Jesus' parents So you arranged to well. go to spend a holiday hoping you you eventually Well, there was, there, Spain's a big place. We chose Madrid. That's where <laughs> Jesus' family is from. <laughs> <laughs> so we all went there and like I said, I have I have great family, friends, cousins, so they all used their own money, spent their holiday and they came there. And that's when I met his family. And um I remember we had some wires crossed, so we went to his house, but his family wasn't there. So we'd gone to go and quickly collect something to go out to come back and do a proper introduction. But they came home early and so <laughs> There I was. Um, yeah, it wasn't the way we had planned. However, one thing I'd always prayed is that whoever happened to be my father-in-law would it, would really accept me. And when I met his dad, his dad said, this house is now your house. And it's he gave one. me a, a Spanish kiss and that was really lovely. So I've always known that for my father-in-law, who's the head of the home, I will always be accepted. I will always have a place there. And up until when he passed away just recently, he'd always held to that. I had always, he'd always made me feel like I was his other daughter. And I'd never, ever had a, um, had anything different from him. So I, I yeah, I, I'm lucky, I guess, because that may not be everyone's experience. Right. Thank you. Well, listen, um, just a couple more things we wanted to, to just hear from you with this very, very interesting conversation. What about, you know, for some people, when they're getting married, you obviously got married in England and um, now you're living in, where are you living now? Seville, Spain. So, you know, so you're now moved to Spain. So you knew that marrying a Spanish man, one day you may end up in, in Spain anyway. You actually end up in Spain now. How How is it over there? Being... You've you moved from England, quite diverse. Now you're living in a place, a very tourist area, I believe, a very beautiful part of Spain. It's not Madrid, which is probably a little bit more... Um, a bit more cosmopolitan. Yeah, a bit more diverse. diverse. How, how have people accepted you over there, being the wife of this Spanish man? It's funny, the I say people it. now, not the family, the people <laughs> around you. What's happened there? Spain, I think they... It's... It's... 
light years behind where I would say London is in terms of people's mentality, people's way of seeing things. It has been an incredibly, it's a, an incredibly homogenous space. It's an incredibly homogenous culture. So it's like the only way is Spanish. So they, they are still very new to people that are different being in an, in their midst. So I think for me, it was understanding that, um, yeah, you're just, you're different. It's very clear. You're, you know, you walk around and you are the only, the only one in the village, the only black in the village. (laughs) But I think the nature, the manner of the Spanish, it's not more, I mean, you get used to the stares. They do stare a lot. You sense that people just staring at you. After a while, it kind of goes over your head. You know, people stare at everything. But I think um, it's more, rather than, I have had some overt experiences, but rather than it being more overt, it's more of an invisibility. I feel like I walk around invisible. You know, um, sometimes when you get further into a, into an interaction and they realize that you're English speaking, because I think their only their main interaction are people, you know, immigrants from whether it be war torn countries, but just that stereotypical immigrant um, feels that they're poorer. They you know they at the mercy of the state, as it were, and so they don't really know it seems how to navigate that. And then when you speak English, it's it's a different. They slot people into different levels into different mm. spaces and um so I think it's it's that I think sometimes they, I feel they're a bit overcome with the confidence you have just to you know walk into a shop and just be like okay this is me and I say I have three different experiences I have experience of me walking around Seville by myself I have experience of walking around Seville with Jesus and I have experience of walking around Seville with Jesus when they know he's from Madrid because within every country they they, they would dispel you know, right, so there's Madrid and there's, there, you know oh there's the Andalusia the Andalusians and then there's the Castellana people that live that come from Madrid and so they have their own Don't differences you, right it's um, more like tribes is it like a tribe or just settling places probably more like settled settled places right. um, but they have specific culture that they're quite proud of and right. I think they have stereotypes as well among right. themselves right. So I definitely, not so much anymore. And I think for me, it's also, I don't speak the language really well. So I really try to process it through that lens as well. If I was in an English speaking space, would it be more different? Would my experience be different because I can speak the language? Sometimes it's just, you don't understand them, they don't understand you. Their accent is quite strong as well. So it's different from the Spanish that I've heard that my husband speaks. so you're trying to catch what they're saying. So sometimes, yeah, some people don't know what to do with you sometimes. But it's more of an invisibility, unseen. That's how I describe most of my um, my right. existence there. Right, that's it. And then do you have any, what about the government? The government policies around you, did, did, it, did it ever affect? I mean, before you got married, did you have to have certain intrusion like here they have where they had a task force which intrudes if they want to get married they have to have certain things and if they feel that's not a genuine marriage or maybe you married for paper then you know you were deported and stuff like that did you was was that something you had to negotiate navigate not really i think the time we got married we were 
the United Kingdom, the UK was still in the EU. So the process was quite um, quite seamless, uh, just a normal process. Go to the um, town hall, the registries, put your notice up for a month, and if anyone wants to contest it, they can contest it. But because it wasn't outside of the EU, we didn't have all of those loopholes to jump. He didn't have to... Even his settlement status, once the Brexit happened, was independent of me. It's actually quite funny because now I ended up being the wife that married him for his papers because I married him. <laughs> Something that I said I will never do. I will never marry him. No one's married me for my papers. But now I'm there at the mercy of his papers because right. he brought me to Spain. Now oh. we don't have Brexit anymore. So, so I'm... Yeah, yeah, boy. I'm on a right. visa. That's really interesting. <laughs> and of course, your marriage has been blessed with children. How many so children have, do you have? I have three beautiful, wonderful children. Oh, right. <laughs> We're going to talk to one or two of them later. So before we finish talking to you, just tell us. You've obviously had a wide experience and you said you've come to that place where you've accepted yourself as who you are it's not whatever people see you is actually relevant you know who you are you're quite confident in your own identity and racism can play a place there but you can negotiate it quite well what would you say what advice would you give to people who say listen i i i don't want to be limited i'm falling in love with someone outside my culture and um i don't know what to do because this is not what i expected i was hoping i will marry from my culture but it's not happening I've, i met someone in the library we seem to end up in the same place and i think i fall in love what would i do is it worth pursuing give us three advice <laughs> please i would say for sure um my advice would be if you've done your due diligence i think that's the first things first is he someone good in and of himself or in and of herself, you know, really have a look at the person. Because I think when you're in a mixed or in an interracial relationship, it's very easy to see every difference, every bump in the road, oh, because you're white and I'm African, you're white, I'm black, that's why it is happening. But probably it's a human situation. And mm -hmm. I think before I bump into issues of cultural differences, I'm definitely bumping into personal issues you know the baggage we bring from childhood any trauma we've experienced everything that piles right into the relationship and it's very easy to be like if I was with someone that was similar to me we wouldn't have this maybe but you're gonna have to navigate joining your life with somebody completely different and all that they have and you're going to have to be prepared to walk a mile in their shoes it may look slightly different so if they're a person that you know you should be with, I wouldn't say just because they're from a different culture or they're a different skin colour, okay, let me just try. I have it down here, it said the grass is greener where you water it, not just on the other side. So if That's you choose... Can you say that again for all of us to hear? <laughs> the grass is greener where you choose to water it, not just the grass is greener on the other side. So if you choose to go with somebody else that is different, not just because it's on the other side but wherever you choose to have a relationship you water that relationship you spend time and you do the work that work may look different from someone that's in the same race relationship 
but you do the work and you will see the benefits because it's very easy to be in a relationship and look outside like oh I've only <laughs> but that's not it water the grass that you you have thank you um yeah that will be my advice do your due right. diligence if the person is good why not that shouldn't be a barrier right and what would you say to a government you're causing this to always look at papers now he was looking for your papers although you love each other and now you're in spain he's like you depend on his paper what would you say to the government about those kind of issues that you just want to be free to marry what would you say what advice would you give to any government in europe i think the path to unity isn't through othering you know i think in this when i use the term cultural moment it's very easy to be okay we need to help african people or we need to help india or these type of people and it's like what everybody desires is to be seen for who they are they don't it's almost like we're just switching the tables again it's almost like we're switching the tables again and we're just creating a different kind of division in a different way we the path to unity is also uncomfortable we need to constantly be the reason why i can exist for example in a space like london is not because i would say london in itself is just everyone there is amazing and super open to change it's been an uncomfortable path that my parents my grandparents have had to forge through for people to be seen more for themselves than for example in a space that i live in right now like in spain so people need the stories need to be told some things are really uncomfortable to hear sometimes even you know in a relationship you you think that where you're from it's the better place and you you blink at yourself or you don't want to hear it it's just no this is the only way but that's not true that really isn't the truth so the government needs to continue to let stories be told and also people you know aside from the birth gap whereby you know we need people from other places to fill the birth gap within Europe in general i think there are less kids being born people are coming in people want to be except people want to live in if they're choosing to leave where they are and live in your country they've made a massive jump the last thing that they need to feel is feel othered feel that they're not welcome you'll be surprised if people go through the school system how much we are for example irish but i have black skin i am british but i have black skin fish and chips on friday that is a thing in my head you may look at me and not realize that but actually <laughs> we are you know that is part of our culture as well but we also are from where we come from and that that brings so much can bring so much to a community to a to a country why would you not encourage that why would you not move through that just simply because we're different doesn't mean that it's bad or that we're strange it's just you forge through it but i don't deny that it's uncomfortable that doesn't mean you don't push through it doesn't mean that you now okay these people would do this for that that's not where we want to be and i think the way things are going sometimes i think we're just leading and moving towards just another type of division that's going to come back and bite us a little bit later down the line with all the good intentions but we have to make sure that for example um in my kids school I was on a diversity um inclusion board and one of the things I stress I said I'm here to make people feel uncomfortable because I love I like the idea of representation but if my kids through these new um 
initiatives come out unable to see someone different and just see them for who they are i think we're t as good as it looks we're going in the wrong direction yet again and i think the government needs to understand that and um yeah just walk through the uncomfortability of it but at the end of it like when i've come back to london i'm like oh my goodness there are people in different places this is this is a good thing because they bring such a wealth and yes sometimes they bring things that aren't great as well in terms of you know everybody's different and we all can have good and bad running parallel that is just the human race um the gov yeah that would be my advice to the government don't be afraid to tell people's stories don't be afraid of the uncomfortability of it but that leads to a path of unity right and lastly for the community the extended family the community when they see mixed relationships what would be the advice for them your I, advice having 10 years in this and now you're living in spain moved from london which is so diverse to a little it's not a little village but it is a village yeah. like as you said what advice would you say to those communities and your extended families who may still be thinking why but it's 10 years some people are still thinking why <laughs> <laughs> i know they're thinking why um i think I've, I've got down here don't don't underestimate what it takes to be in the unknown. You know, don't underestimate what is taken for the person to be. It isn't, they've chosen this life, but they still are them. I think it's very easy sometimes, and you know, it's been my experience too, you marry someone that isn't part of your culture, and then it's almost like you have to not choose, but you're less than African, you're less than black because of who you've chosen to to be with. Um, don't underestimate the power of, or the effect that that feeling may have on that person. Number one, they still are the same person that you grew up with. They still are the same person that you know and love. Um, pay attention to your lived experience. Is the relationship good? You know, does the person, do they love each other? Can you, build a relationship with that person don't lean on stereotypes to um to judge the other person so go with what you know what you see rather than what you assume to see and i think in that you can only grow more you can only have for example another friend another brother-in-law another sister-in-law another cousin aunt whatever it is and you will see the world grows a little bit smaller, but yeah, a little bit brighter at the same time. I think, you know, try to understand the why of why your family member or your friend chose that person rather than the who, as in what they look like. Try and understand the why. And I think that will put us on a path to understanding it's just more of the same, you know? You know, you've been a brilliant guest and I wish you the best. And um, yeah, now we're going to have a quick conversation with your children who are here with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. So much Thank wisdom you. and 10 years experience and really exciting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, so we were just talking to Lola Palomar, who's married to a Spanish man, Jesus, and they have three beautiful children. And right now in the studio, we have the opportunity to talk to mixed-race kids 
um, for my previous video, we've known some things that are actually probably legal for um, the Irish government to have done, and many have suffered greatly. But things have improved over the time. We want to hear from the horse's mouth. What is it like for them to have parents that are different? We're going to start with Ines. Ines, tell us how old you are. And what's been your experience having your mum and dad and going around? And you, Do you feel different? Kind of. I feel like I'm, like when I'm in... Nigeria, I feel like I'm Nigerian. But when I'm in Spain, I feel like I'm Spanish. Is that I'm both. Right. And and tell us your age and your name, please. I'm seven years old and my name's Anesh. Say that again. I'm seven years old and my name's Anesh. And how, you're seven years old. What, is, what has been the difference just knowing that Mummy and Daddy, they love you, but they're different, different races. Can you uh, see the difference? That your dad is from Spain and your mom's from Africa. Has that been good or bad? Well, it, it's kind of good because when I go to a country, my mom knows the language. And if I go to a different one like Spain, my dad would know the language. And when I go to England, I would... I know the language. It's like it's, it's like I know every language. I think you're so right. And how are you enjoying Spain at the moment? Well, it's good. I made lots of friends, uh, and the, the heat really kind of bothered me. But I really like Spain with all my friends and family. So you've been able to make lots and lots of friends. They've welcomed you really well. And when you were in England, what did you find here? I did make even more friends, but I, the weather was different, but I really found something different. That I'm English, and it feels like for my dad, he doesn't really understand most English stuff, so when, he's, so when my mom says, let's do this stuff, which is English, my dad doesn't really understand because he's Spanish. But you like being Spanish and Nigerian? I, yeah, I like being both. You like being both. Well done. And you've got lots of friends on both sides and you're having a great time. Listen, I think you're just a wonderful young girl. Now, you have something to read to me. Do you want to read to me about that story about Ines? Ines is a lovely person. She is kind and sometimes helpful. She is really good singer and dancer. She is very welcoming and friendly she she's very good at domestic she loves chores don't forget she loves cooking ines is artistic and creative her favorite food is, is fish fingers her heart is made of gold this is the presentation of ines oh listen that to me is just so beautiful it's very touching did you notice that Ines never even mentioned her colour she just talked about Ines and all the beautiful qualities she has which she does have so thank you Ines and just so quickly talk to your brother there brother what's your name I'm Mateo yeah, and how old are you I have nine years yeah old. wow and you're the product of this beautiful relationship having a mother that is African Nigerian 
and a father that is Spanish. How have you found it? I, I just like it because I'm different and I, lo- and I love to feel diverse because that is who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a Spanish boy, I'm Spanish and Nigerian. It's who I am and I, and I like it to, be the, to stay that way. And you like football as well, which is all nationality yeah. football, isn't it? What do you play football? What, what, what position do you play in football? Left winger or left wing back. Right. Now, you had a poem also. Tell us about your school. How have you found living in Spain and living in, living in when you were living, where you were living before and now you've just come to Ireland? Have you found, have you found living in these different places? Well, I like it because it's always different. I, I learn new cultures and I learn new languages. And also, it's a, it's a good way to make friends internationally. Right. Are you learning Spanish? You speak a bit of Spanish? I'm learning Spanish. Right. Tell me something in Spanish. Hola. Hola, me llamo Mateo y soy Diana Okay, you've gone above me there. <laughs> <laughs> now we're coming to an end. Tell me, you had a poem for us late earlier on. Do you want to show that really quickly with us? Uh, where's is a word, violets are blue. I'm as good as Ronaldo, how about you? My skills are so good, but nobody knows. I've seen made my debut for the, for the British Rose. Now everyone here will hear me now on the radio as I take this bow. Oh, listen, it's been great to have you guys. Thank you very much. Give yourself a clap. Well done. We're just so grateful to have you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh. I want to thank Lola Palomon and her beautiful Spangerian children, Mateo and Ines Palomon. I want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us on this final podcast of Mixed Blessing.